0: This story that I'm about to tell you concerns a young couple prior to their marriage who needed to sort out some personal hygiene issues. The groom was apprehensive about his foot odor problem. His father recommended frequent foot washing and wearing socks to bed. The the groom thought that was a wonderful idea and he would do so the bride-to-be was likewise apprehensive about her terrible morning breath. Her mother's advice was to get straight out of bed in the morning, brush her teeth, and not say a word until after she had done so. She thought this to be an excellent idea. The loving couple was finally married in a beautiful ceremony, not forgetting the advice each had received, he, with his smelly socks and she, with her morning breath, they managed to do quite well. That is, until about six months later, shortly before dawn, the husband woke with a start to find that one of his socks had come off. Fearful of the consequences, he frantically searched the bed. This, of course, woke his bride, who, without thinking and without brushing her teeth, immediately asked, what on earth are you doing? Oh, no, he gasped in shock. You've swallowed my sock. <laughs> Obviously, every, in every marriage, there are conflicting issues that can smell up the matrimonial harmony. And unfortunately, there are stinky issues that can divide up the church of Jesus Christ. During Paul's day, there were people who believed that Jesus Christ was merely one of the angels leading to God. Paul wrote later in this letter we're about to study this morning, don't let anyone say you must worship angels, for they are not connected to Christ. And according to a study done by Legionnaire Ministries, founded by R.C. Sproul, he wrote, and I quote, When it comes to Americans with evangelical beliefs, the survey found that 78% of those polled believed that Jesus was the first and greatest being created by God the Father. Now, I'm not saying that any of you here in this room believe this point of view, but what I am saying, here comes the point, that what you truly believe about Jesus Christ will affect your behavior toward him. May I repeat that? Whatever you believe about Jesus Christ will affect your behavior toward him. Bill Hybels, both pastor and author, makes this comment, and I quote, God knows that unless we give him the place of preeminence he deserves, we will be frustrated, empty people. Frustrated and empty because the Lord Jesus wants to fill us with His life. The less of His life we embrace, the less of His joy and peace will embrace us. That is why Paul, and if you don't mind turning your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1, beginning at verse 15, Colossians chapter 1, beginning at verse 15 and I'll read it in just a minute, but there's some interesting phrases that Paul uses on through this part of his letter. He uses the personal pronoun he in all four verses of our text this morning. In verse 15, it reads, he is the image of the invisible God. In verse 17, he writes, he he is before all things. In verse 18, he is is also the head of the body of the church, and he is the beginning. And then verse 18 further on, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. So, in studying this text, we want to capture and embrace the concept of he. He, as in Jesus, God the Son. Paul leads us into this thought earlier from verse 13, just one verse up from where we've been reading. And verse 13 there reads that He, God the Father, has transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. So what does Paul tell us about this beloved Son in verses 15 through 18? May I read it to you now? He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body of the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. Now I know not all of you attend the adult class on Sunday mornings, but I have to apologize to the ones that have because we just talked about this verse pretty much all through the class. So if they start snoozing, just give them an elbow, please. Okay. So look in your notes there. In the first part of your notes there, I put the word, the characteristics. So there are characteristics about the Lord Jesus Christ in verses 15 through 17. They are very important to Paul's thinking and wants to be important to our thinking as well. The first part of verse 15 reads, He is the image... Oh, I apologize. I get to roll along here. and didn't bother. There we go. Sorry. The first part of verse 15 reads, He is the image of the invisible God. The key idea here is in the word image. Image, as you will see in your notes, is the excellent expression of God the Father. The term image in the Greek language means both a representation and manifestation of an object. Here, Paul uses the word image to describe Jesus' communication and expression of the Father's thoughts, words, and will. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 reads, The light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The gospel is obviously the will of God, through the Sun So that communication of the gospel is a display of the image of God. The writer to the Hebrews in chapter one verse three explains further this idea of image with the phrase "The exact representation of his nature." Exact means without imperfections." And I've just got to show you this picture. This is our family. At the beach, taking a picture of, there's a few more have been added, but there. And you can see there might be a couple of imperfections in that picture. If you look, from your perspective, the lower left-hand side, there are two grandchildren poking at each other. Not really unusual for taking a picture. But those are the imperfections you see in this family. And these are the imperfections that you do not see in the Lord Jesus Christ. Perfect. He is a perfect description of God the Father. In chapter 1, verse 18 of the Gospel of John, it reads No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. The phrase, the only begotten God, is translated by the NIV, the one and only God. Jesus is the only one who can give a detailed description of the Father. Paul writes later in the letter to the Colossians that when we believe in Jesus, we start being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. As God the Son, the Lord Jesus is the only one who has the perfect and complete knowledge of the Father's will. So the first characteristic of God the Son is the excellent expression of God the Father. Only the image can reflect the true nature and mind of God. Now, the second phrase in verse 15 says, the firstborn of all creation. This is a difficult phrase, and I believe it describes the eternal existence of God. We generally think of the firstborn as the first brought into the life of a family. And I thought, just for the fun of it, do I have any, are there any firstborn people here in the room? Any one of you that are firstborn? Well, there are quite a few firstborn ones. Okay, awesome. And that can be a bit scary as well. We have to define this word, firstborn. We might think about it the way we just did that, but the Greek word prototokos means to be in existence prior to the creation of the world. Can I say that again? It means to be in existence prior to the creation of the world, not prior to other siblings. Paul makes this clear if you look down at verses 16 and 17. In verse 16 he writes, For by him all things were created. Back in the beginning. And verse 17, he is before all things. Us firstborn ones were brought into existence by our parents. But Jesus Christ existed in eternity past with the Father. He is the firstborn of all creation, before anyone else existed. The better way to say it is that he, was, he has always existed. Not born, but existed Of course he was born to Mary, but that birth was not the beginning of his existence. The Apostle John records this statement made by the Lord Jesus as found in Revelation chapter 22, verse 13. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. One commentator writes about this statement in Revelation This is a testimony of the deity, eternity, infinity, and perfection of Christ. In other words, the firstborn of all creation means that Jesus is God the Son, verified by his eternal nature. So now up to this point, Colossians, up to this point in Colossians, we could say that the Lord Jesus is excellent in expression and eternal in existence, now, let's look at verse 16. And I would say here, verse 16 describes his enormously efficacious nature of God. Now, you look at me and go, where in the world did you get those words from? It's the only E I could fit in here efficacious. You'll have to figure out its meaning. You'll get it on the way. So, we read there in verse 16 For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Only God the Son with the Father and the Holy Spirit can create out of nothing. Create comes from the Greek word kitzo, meaning form originally. They didn't go after something else that was already formed. This is original formation. By him and through him indicate that the original formulation of all creation came from the efficacious power of the Lord Jesus Christ. He needed no help from anyone or anything to bring the universe into existence. He is the original and only creator. Yeah, sorry about that. There's your word. If You, you can check yourself and see if you spelled efficacious right, right? You get bonus points, but I wanted to show you this one. The world of science is now discovering this truth which researchers are labeling the God particle. The God particle is the nickname of a subatomic particle called the Higgs boson. In layman's terms, different subatomic particles are responsible for giving matter different properties. One of the most mysterious and important properties is mass. Some particles, like protons and neutrons, have mass. Others, like protons, do not. The Higgs boson, or God particle, is believed to be the particle which gives mass to matter. The God particle nickname grew out of the long, drawn-out struggles of physicists to find this elusive piece of the cosmic puzzle. The article ends by saying, As with any scientific discovery, God's amazing creation becomes more and more impressive as we learn more about it. So these phrases, by him, through him, and for him, are all expressions of his creative energy over the entire universe. And not only over the entire known universe, but also according to verse 16, did you see it there? Over that which is visible... And invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, so we have characterized him as expressive, eternally existent, existent, and efficacious. The Lord Jesus speaks the father's mind, he has always existed, and he has created all things. Now, the next characteristic I would like to lay down, a little more science to help celebrate i'm sorry illustrate verse seventeen. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. We could say that he is extensively enduring. The image on the overhead is a diagram of the protein molecule laminin. Laminin is a protein found in the extracellular matrix or the sheets of protein that form the substrates of all internal organs, also called basement membrane. I bet you thought you were in a science class just then, didn't you? a look around. Basically, laminin is a protein molecule that holds or entwines our bodies together. I'm sure you have noticed one thing about this diagram, haven't you? What did you notice? That's right. It's in the figure of a cross. How about that? Must have been by accident, right? Not to make too much of it, but the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who entwines all things together. Now, I enjoy giving these illustrations, not that it has a way of making me look like I'm smart or something, but I can come up with all those words and look them all up before I get here. But it shows that uh, honest science gives clarity to God's word. Can I repeat that? Honest science clarifies the Word of God. So having been a science teacher for five years, you can look at different books, and boy, do you get a swing of approaches and views of things. But this is God's view. This is the way God looks at it. The phrase holds together is a verb meaning to keep in its proper place. Jesus, God the Son, put laminin, in its proper place in order to hold the body together. So then the universe in general, and our bodies in specific, as pastor commentator Matthew Henry writes, preserved are preserved from being disbanded and run into confusion. Jesus Christ put us together with the intention of holding us together. He did not leave us alone to be disbanded and run into confusion. The scientific concept of the clockmaker metaphor in which some philosophers and scientists believe that God set the universe in place and left it alone is not taught in the Bible. This passage of Scripture shows God's constant involvement in the world and people. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 reads, He upholds all things by the word Of his power. Jesus exhibits his deity through his ability to uphold all things by his mighty power. The English word upholds is in the present tense, meaning that God the Son is constantly caring for his universe. He is our extensively enduring protector. That's our fourth characteristic. So let me just review for a minute. Jesus is God the Son because he is expressive, eternal, efficacious, and enduring. We need to put all in front of all these words. He represents all of the Father's thoughts. He has been with the Father for all time. He is all-powerful, and he is always active in his universe. Paul's intention in these first three verses is, here in Colossians, was to declare Jesus Christ as God the Son and Lord over all. Now, in this first part of verse 18, Paul connects the community of the church with the characteristics of the Lord. So here we come, in your second one, in your your outlines there, the community. Paul writes at the beginning of verse 18, he is also head of the body, the church. Head of the body means that he has the authority and is the authority over the church. And as we all know, the head gives directions to the body. Okay, kids. Do You know this one? I see a smile over there. You've seen this one? How many of you kids have seen this one? Go ahead. Raise your hand. Oh, I have one. Oh, it's a couple big kids. Okay, good. All right. That's a good one. Inside out. What's it about? The emotions of a young girl coming out. So, In order to overcome the misdirection of our emotions, that was my point of the illustration, our emotions. Have they ever overtaken you, guided you in the wrong direction, got you in trouble? That's the point of my illustration here. They can do that. But in order for us to offset that work, we need to look at Jesus Christ as the head of the church and the head of our individual lives. And he will be the one one to give us the right direction in what we do. I find in life we get ourselves in a boatload of trouble when we let our emotions rule and direct our lives. And then he says later on, after this, uh, Paul goes into saying, and he is the beginning. In verse 18 there, he is the head of the church because he is the beginning of the church. Notice that this phrase does not read from the beginning, but rather he is the beginning. The church began with Jesus Christ. He is the head of the church. And then Paul continues to make this point with the next phrase. you see it? Here comes our phrase again. The firstborn from the dead. Again, the idea of the firstborn is that he is the unique one that rose from the dead before anyone else. And as the firstborn, he will take the church to be with him in heaven. Here's what John chapter 14, verses 2 and 3 reads. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be. What? Also. Friends, the worst thing that could happen to us in this life is not death. Is that a surprise to you? The worst thing that can happen in this life is death without Christ. He is the firstborn who will bring all those who believe in him into heaven with him. I have done many memorial services, seen a lot of sadness. But when you do a Christian memorial service, burying even a friend in Christ, there is a difference because the hope is there in that ceremony. It's a mixture. A certain hope of heaven someday. So the Apostle Paul's point is to describe Jesus as the first and only creator. The first and only one to die for the sins of the world. And the first to rise from the dead. And because of these virtues, he should be the first and only one worshipped in the church, and the only devotion of the individual's Christian's life. Here's where I'm going to come at you this morning. So we say, you nod your head, I've heard this before. matter of fact, Kurt, I just heard this an hour ago. What I want to say to you now is, what do you believe about that? In your heart, do you really believe those things? Do you believe those things said about Jesus Christ? Because Paul here moves his readers to a commitment. Do you see it? Look at it there in verse 18. Here it comes. So that, verse 18 begins, he is also head of the body of the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. So that. The so that is there as a result of the previous statements made about the Lord Jesus in verses 15 through 18. And this result or conclusion implies a commitment on the part of the reader. And who is the object of that commitment? See that verse, that phrase again. So that he himself. I don't know how your translation reads, but the New American Standard reads, he himself. Do you think Paul is trying to make a point? He could have just said he, or you know him, or Jesus. No, he himself. There is no other one that's going to bless the Christian and give him peace in his life and direction, but he himself. It's an emphatic pronoun, and it means nothing else or no one else worthy of such a commitment. Remembering at the beginning of this message, I quoted a pastor by the name of Bill Hybels. I'd like to quote him again in case you've forgotten it. God knows that unless we give him the place of preeminence he deserves, here it comes, We will be frustrated, empty people. Let me illustrate it this way. A secretary was leaving the office one Friday evening when she encountered one of the bosses, Mr. Jones. He was standing in front of a shredder. Keep that in your brain, please. A shredder with a piece of paper in his hand. Listen, said Mr. Jones, this is important. And my secretary has already left. Can you make this thing work? Certainly, said the secretary. She turned the machine on, inserted the paper, and pressed the start button. Excellent, excellent, said Mr. Jones, as his paper disappeared inside the machine. I just need one copy. Are you there with me? Shredder? Okay. Oops. Our lives can end in the shredder. That's my point, of course if we misidentify what is most important and excellent in life. That's what I'd like you to think about this morning, please. What is most excellent in your life? What is the most important thing? Or, sorry to say this, is your life in the shredder? Is it in the shredder this morning? Are you struggling? Are you having trouble? Because maybe he isn't first place in everything. Listen to the Apostle John in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. John, you know, is very direct. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the Father, the love of the... F- I'm sorry, anyone... Pardon me. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything... I've got to stop there for a minute. We have a tendency of wanting to put things in their own categories. And we place them here and there. So we say, yeah, this is most important, but not here, but not here, but not here. But it's okay to have it here. That's why John writes it this way. John is very black and white. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has He has and does comes not from the Father but from the world. The world and its desires pass away but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Empty, frustrated people put the world first. That's a warning to all of us. It's a danger. We have a tendency of putting the world first. But we need to be clear here. Watch this now. Please watch. We don't put Jesus first. What's he talking about? No. This passage of Scripture says, He is first. Did you get that? We, I hear the world talk about, I hear Christians say this word. I'm putting Jesus first in my life. Well, how did he get in second and third? I mean, that's not the way, we read a whole passage. You listen to me go through a whole diatribe about who Jesus was. Four points of who he is, and yet now we're putting him first? No. God put him first. The Lord Jesus is first. That's his place. It is us submitting to him as first is our privilege and our responsibility. I played first base in college and semi-professional baseball. And I can tell you from experience that first base is always in the same place. But if you run to third base first after hitting a ball, you will be called out at first base. I can guarantee that also. A Christian can try to run to the world at third base for his joy and peace, and then wonder why they're called out, or I put it in my notes, or feel out of it at first base. God the Father's intention for his son was to be first in Did you see what your Bible said there? In a few things, the things that I put him first in, the ones that I feel like, is that what it says? No, it says they're in everything. This phrase does not mean for us to be more religious. Please understand that. But rather, be more Christ-like in every activity of life. We cannot separate the meeting of the church from the living of the church. And we should not separate the praise of the church from the practice of the church. Here's what Colossians chapter 3 verse 17 says. And whatever and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. In the name of means to be led to do life like the Lord Jesus did it and wants us to do it. To compartmentalize our lives is an unbiblical and spiritually unhealthy concept. Paul repeats all this encompassing idea throughout his letters. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 14 says, do everything in love. In Titus 2.7, it says, in everything, set them an example by doing what is good. Titus 2.9 teaches, teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything. And Philippians 4.13 reads, I can do everything through him, who gives me strength. So this example of Bible passages shows us that we can do all things and everything Jesus' way. This final illustration I want to give you this morning will help us to see the primary role of Christ. No, I'm not going to put it up there yet. I'll let you listen to the story first. The captain of a ship looked into the dark night and saw faint lights in the distance. Immediately, he told his signalman to send a message. Alter your course 10 degrees south. Promptly, a return message was received. Alter your course 10 degrees north. The captain was angered. His command had been ignored. So he sent a second message. Alter your course 10 degrees south. I am the captain. Soon, another message was received. Alter your course 10 degrees north. I am Seaman 3rd Class Jones. Immediately, the captain sent a third message, knowing the fear it would invoke. Alter your course 10 degrees south. I am a battleship. Then the reply came, alter your course 10 degrees north. What? I am a lighthouse. This section of Paul's letter that we have studied together this morning is a call to the Colossians and to us to commit ourselves to Christ as the only right light in the stormy days of life and to submit ourselves to him as number one. So I'd like to ask you a question at the beginning of the close of this message, I'm sorry. Is there any area in your life where you need to let Christ's light shine as number one and change a portion of your lifestyle to exhibit him and bless you. So you've spoken to me this morning, Father, I know that. And there are some course changes I could make to put you as first. And I've never been disappointed in putting you first for the blessings I've received from you. So I thank you for being a trustworthy God, a God that's eager to bless us and encourage us and direct us on the way. I think what we need to believe, Lord, is that your way is best. We think we can figure things out on our own and we make mistakes and we sin against you and we hurt ourselves and those around us. So as may as we walk from this place today, help us not just to put this in a notebook of notes, but help us to put this message from your word and from you in our hearts and do something about it this week. In your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen.